0: Love,
1: talk, radio. Hello out there, my name is Sam Maxwell and welcome to the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, speaking of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Duke Snyder once said that uh, he hated Halloween because it shares the colors of black and orange with their rivals of Manhattan. And so it's fitting that Mr. Peter McGowan, the Giants' former president and managing general partner, joins us today on October uh, October 31st. Thanks a bunch, Peter, for being on.
2: Well, thank you, Sam. I'm glad to be with you.
1: And and, uh, before we really get started, I'm curious. Obviously, uh, you know, it was unfortunate for you that your Giants weren't in the World Series, but what did you think of that, that fall classic?
2: Well, I thought it was a, uh, a great series between two of the real old-time historic uh, teams, Boston Red Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals, both had so much history and tradition. Um, to see the World Series played in a ballpark that's 100 years old was also, I think, wonderful for the sport.
1: Yes, I agree. It, it, it was, uh, and it brought up a lot of uh, things that I hadn't thought about, the fact that the Red Sox hadn't lost a, a World Series game until these two, uh, since, since 1986, and it set up the opportunity for the Fenway faithful to see
2: them win a World
1: Series for the first time since uh, breaking the curse, if you will.
2: Right, right. The last time they won a game, I guess, was 100 years ago. Um, right. 1918.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, coming up on the centennial, it, it's, it's pretty remarkable, uh, and um, yeah, uh, it was a fantastic series, and and even though I like, you know, when series go to Game 7, I was really hoping they would wrap it up last night, and it, it was nice to see that they did. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm
2: a National League fan, so right. I was rooting for the Cardinals, and they were very good represent representative of the league, but uh, uh, they they couldn't beat the Red Sox, so I give the Red Sox all the credit in the world. Absolutely. You know, especially when you think how Red Sox lost over 90 games the previous year. They were in last place, and it's not easy to go from last place to first place uh, no. in the game of baseball. It's just hard to change your team around that fast.
1: And I certainly know that being a Mets fan, and you know, it, it always gives us hope even though it's only happened once before the Red Sox did it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, let's go all the way back to your, your time growing up in Manhattan and uh, the roots of your, your baseball history. Uh, so tell, tell our audience uh, who might not know your, your Manhattan roots.
2: Well, I grew up in New York City on uh, 69th Street in Manhattan, and uh, <clears throat> I developed a love of the game of baseball very early. I was playing the game since I was, I guess, seven or eight years old. Uh, my dad took me to my first Major League Baseball game, which was at the Polo Grounds, between the Giants and the Phillies in 1950. He had come from uh, Chester, Pennsylvania, so he was a Phillies fan, and I think he wanted me to become one, too. But I loved the polo grounds at first sight, and that was the Giants' home ballpark, and I loved the Giants' home uniform, uh, black, white, and orange. And so I said, I'm going to be a Giants fan, and that was in 1950, and here we are, what, some 60 years later, I still am.
1: Right, and, and it's remarkable that your task brought you to be so uh, connected to the team. And um, So talk, talk a little bit about that, that first game. What are some of the things that you remember uh, really being uh, taken in by when you went into the ballroom?
2: Well, I remember just the, the – it was a night game, and so seeing all this green grass at night, I'd never seen anything like that before. I mean, Central Park has green grass, but it wasn't all lit up at night. Uh, so it was beautiful, and I thought that the ballpark itself was such a unique shape to it. It was shaped like a bathtub, really, 258 feet to right field, 279 feet to left field, and 483 feet to center field. It was a kind of ballpark with that deep center field that allowed a, a guy like Willie Mays to really show off his talents because he, could, he had so much territory to cover in yeah. the polo grounds.
1: And I gather that Willie Mays, uh, like so many Giants fans, that was your favorite player.
2: Yes, it was, and he still is. I mean, I still think he was the greatest player that ever played the game, though I know there's a lot of people that would uh, differ uh, with that. But he had all five skills of what you can do on a baseball field, of of hit, hit with power, run, field, and throw. Um, And he played the game with such a flair, I mean, It was always exciting to watch him. If you kept your eyes on him, there was a chance you'd see him do things that you would see no other ball player do, like score from first on a single, um, score from second on a bunt, um, uh, steal home. You just don't see these types of plays much anymore. And he would do things in the field that were just unbelievable. So he, he was my favorite player. I first saw him in 1951. He was... Ricky the year that year, and then his second full season in baseball was 1954. The Giants were in the World Series, and he was the MVP and led the league in hitting.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, and before, obviously, you went to your, uh, a year before he came into the league. So who was a player that really stuck out to you during that first game for the Giants?
2: Well, I I, I think it was, might have been Sal Magley, uh, Sal the barber, uh, who <laughs> who had an uncanny knack of uh, pitching balls very close to uh, hitters' faces. Uh, And he'd never shave, so he'd look really sort of mean and tough on the field. And he was a great Dodger beater. I mean, the Dodgers always had these great, great teams. And uh, very few people could beat the Dodgers on a consistent basis, but uh, Sal Magley could. And that must have been a shell shock. He was certainly one of my favorites because, of course, as a Giants fan, I hated the Dodgers. So anybody who could put them away on a consistent basis had to be at the top of my list.
1: And so that must have been a shell shock for both franchises, uh, you know, on opposite sides, however, when he went to the Dodgers in 1956.
2: That's exactly right. I mean, and he, and he could still pitch. You know, everybody talks about Don Larson and his perfect game in the World Series. The guy he beat was Magley, and I right. think he beat him two two to nothing. And Magley had some great years with the Dodgers, um, but we're used to a little bit of this. Uh, Leo Durocher, of course, who was the manager of the Dodgers, then came over and managed the Giants, and there were a lot of Giants fans who absolutely could not accept that at first. Uh, but they grew to love Leo DeRocher, and he had great success with the Giants.
3: And then, of course, wish-
2: there were, then of course there were these players who, <laughs> who would rather retire than play for the Giants. Uh, Jackie Jackie Robinson being the most famous one. 1956, he was traded to the Giants, and he said, "I'm retiring."
1: Right. Exactly. You know, Carl when the, Carl Erskine when he was on the, the program, we talked a bit about that, and. He said something that that uh, Jackie had a stipulation that he could only be traded to a New York team. So <laughs> if he wouldn't accept one to the to the Giants, you wondered does that mean that he would have accepted to the Yankees? Yeah, we never might know. Have.
2: We'll never yeah. know. Uh,
1: he might have. And and, and speaking of Leo DeRocher, uh, you know, there's that famous shot of him at third base as Bobby Thompson is rounding third uh, in a shot around the world. And I know that you have some stories regarding. Uh, the 1951 play, uh, playoff, which was, uh, at the time, the second playoff. Uh, I believe in uh, 1946, the Dodgers and the Cardinals uh, faced off in a three-game set.
2: Yes, right. And we were tied at the end of the 154-game season. The The Giants came from 13 and a half games back on, I think, August 11th and uh, t- uh, tied the Dodgers on the last day, setting up the three-game world series and their first game was played in ebbets field the giants won that the second game at the polo grounds the dodgers won that so the two visiting teams won the first two games and that then set up the uh, very famous third game october 3rd 1951
1: right exactly and uh you, your dad went to the game am i right
2: my dad went to the game, uh, all I could think about was what was going to happen that day at the game, and I was in a very strict school where we really had to do our homework and stuff, but we prevailed upon our teacher to let us listen to the the last part of the game. So from about the seventh inning on, uh, we were able to listen to the game, and uh, half of us were Dodger fans, half of us were Giants fans in, the, in my class nobody rooted for the yankees uh, because they seemed to always win so we liked more underdog type teams and so uh when the game was over i went home and uh, then about 5:30 or so my dad came through the door and he looked at me and he said guess where i've been today and i said you couldn't have been there and he said i was there and i i went with three people that i work with at merrill lynch and the other three all left at the beginning of the bottom of the ninth. So you remember this, Peter, the rest of your life. Baseball games never over till it's over. And, and then he, saw- he said, and then he said, uh, would you like to go to the World Series tomorrow? Uh, which was, I think, on a Thursday. Certainly it was a school day, and I had never missed a day of school. So I could be sick uh, or whatever, but I'd be shoved out the front door and sent off to school. So here was my dad saying, this is the first day you're ever going to miss school, and you will be my guest at the World Series. So wow. the first game I went to, and I can remember that game like it was uh, yesterday.
1: So uh, discuss the uh, the game, if you don't mind.
2: Well, Dave Koslow pitched it. Now, I don't know how many of your listeners know who Dave Koslow was, but he was the only rested pitcher on the Giants team because The three previous games against the Dodgers, the Dodgers had a great team, but it was a right-handed team. And really the only left-handed batter in the team was Duke Snyder. So the Dodgers got right-handed pitching all the time. And so Koslow was the guy who just was the only one that was uh, at all rested. So he starts for the Giants against the Yankees. Uh, I can't remember whether it was Rashi or Lopat who pitched for the Yankees. But Coslo beat the Yankees five to two. Monty Irvin stole home. Um, uh, I think Alvin Dark had a home run. Um, this was the game that Mickey Mantle uh, uh, was was first uh, about to replace uh, the famous Joe DiMaggio.
1: Right, and, and he got injured in that game.
2: And I can't remember if it was that game, but it was definitely during yeah. that series. That uh, Mickey stepped on a uh, uh, on a on a hole in the outfield and twisted his knee and uh, f- favored that knee for the rest of his uh, career.
1: And everybody uh, talks about how remarkable it is that he was as good as he was. And and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's who knows? Maybe
2: teams. maybe we would be saying that Mickey Mantle was the greatest player that ever <laughs> played the game if he had not. Injured himself in that fifty-one series against the Giants. It was, was Joe just, DiMaggio's last uh, appearance as as a ball player. And I was just, just talking thinking with Joe. I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I, well, just I, think I would. of how many, how many. I think DiMaggio had something like a 13-year career, and 11 of them were were in the World Series.
1: Right, it's remarkable. I was just talking yeah. with somebody about the movie 61 and how one of the big characteristics of Mickey Mantle was how uneasy he got when Joe DiMaggio was in the room.
2: Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, might have I, been
1: for for uh, you know uh,
2: uh, for for film purposes, but yeah, I just don't know.
1: Um, well, uh, we, have, we have a guest on, on, the, uh, on the podcast, he's called Ben, and, and he's been on the podcast before, and that's uh, Steve Rothschild of the New York Giants Preservation Society. Steve,
0: how you Hi, doing? Hi,
2: Steve. How are you
1: guys? Oh,
0: Peter, I, I basically called to, first of all, thank you for everything that you've done for Gary and myself. Gary, of course, is the, you know, he's the brain behind it back east. I got my little group out here in Arizona, and... I've had some good speakers here, too. We've had, you know, Ed Logan has been here numerous times. Uh, I I didn't tell you this, but Kristen Rocha was here a few weeks ago. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah,
2: I I heard about that.
0: It was uh, (laughs) very interesting. Um, He's introverted, uh, difficult upbringing, all that stuff, but none of that's important. But most important is that you connected. John McLaughlin would say, hey, this past Monday, and they had a terrific exchange, and Everything you've done to keep this thing moving. And Gary being younger is going to keep it moving even longer, longer than we would think. So that's good. Yeah, now, well, you that's mentioned good. the, the, the mental uh, injury, and I'm 90% sure it was game one. And a lot of people don't know that Mays hit the ball.
2: Course, oh, I didn't,
0: I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Okay, got you on one. No. <laughs> Mays hit the fly <laughs> ball, and uh, you know, there's a lot of rumors as to you know, the module letting, letting him get hurt and all that other stuff. They didn't, didn't see eye to eye and a lot of things. And I recently found out, and I'm a little younger than you, Peter, and you probably know this, 1956, there were rumors that the Giants were going to go to Minneapolis and the Reds were going to come to the Polo Grounds. Spoke to a few people this week, and they kind of said they've heard that. That was the first I heard of that.
2: I heard about the Giants going to Minneapolis where they had a AAA farm team. But I never heard that that the Cincinnati Cincinnati. Reds were going to go Cincinnati was New the York. target
0: to come back, come back to New York. And in, in the exchange that John had with Willie, um, one of his questions was, when did you find out they were moving? And May said, you know, Leo confided in me and everything, and we talked in 1955 that the ball club's going to move, and I'm not going to be going with them, meaning Leo. Um, yeah, That's an interesting piece of information, I guess, whatever the reason they got rid of him, or he left, or whatever, and then Rigney, Rigney came on, but I don't want to monopolize the conversation. I had my chance a few weeks ago, and I, I, I just think this was wonderful that you're sticking by our group and all the things you've done for us, and we hope maybe one of these days I'll have you come and speak to my group out here. It's a different kind of group than back in New York. It's not all Giant fans, but I'm sure they'd love to love to hear your story. Sure. Sure. Have I love spring training.
1: Sense.
0: All right. And, Very uh, good. Speaking,
1: speaking Guys, of this have group. a great
0: day, Sam. Thanks again, and I'll speak to you oh, soon.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank thank you for calling in. Very much appreciate it. you got
0: it. Very good. Bye-bye now. And, Peter,
1: uh, regarding the uh, the New York Giants Preservation Society uh, and, and contrasting it to the Dodgers, it seems as if, and I've stated this before in the podcast, that Giants fans, Uh, were less offended uh, than the borough of Brooklyn was towards the move. And if you could speak a little bit about that, because it just seems as if uh, a lot of Giants fans stuck with their teams in the New York region more so than the Dodgers fans did.
2: I think the Giants fans were really just as upset as the Brooklyn fans, but maybe they were a little bit better behaved about it. (laughs) Uh, the, the, The Brooklyn fans were very boisterous, and that's of course, part of their charm. The Giants fans... You know were very passionate about their team, um, but maybe they kept it more to themselves. Uh, okay. I do feel that there were a lot of Giants fans and Dodger fans who were just totally upset with what happened after the nineteen fifty seven season when both teams went to the west coast and You could check this out by looking at the Yankees attendance in fifty eight Right. When the Yankees now had New York City all to themselves instead of sharing it with two other teams, you would think their attendance would go up, especially if they would once again be in the World Series as they were. Uh, and instead, it went down.
1: Yeah, in so I think going down
2: it, it, it's a it's a good reflection of how you know people were just so uh, saddened by what they what they experienced.
1: Yeah, uh, in 1957 the, the attendance was 1,497,134 and in 1958 it was 1,428,438. Yeah. Uh, they were still in yeah. first place being a New York team. Uh and this is when, you know, getting a million was a great thing and now it's a devastating thing.
2: Right. Uh, and and in those days they they counted the attendance as the people who actually went to the ballpark, whereas now we count the attendance if you bought a ticket, right. but for whatever reason you didn't go, um, that's counted as, as paid attendance. But it wasn't in those days. That's very
1: interesting. It was all about the, the click of the turnstiles back then. Right. And, and it, you know, uh, I think in terms of now, it's about emphasizing the numbers, even though uh, revenue will be down if they, don't, if they don't use that ticket because they're not buying stuff at the, at the ballpark.
2: Right, but the big the big item is the ticket itself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you buy a exactly. ticket for <clears throat> fifty, sixty dollars, or whatever it is, and uh, you buy f- food of ten dollars, you can see because the team only gets a portion of the ten dollars, the concession, mm-hmm. whereas they get all of the fifty dollars. So, right. Okay. So the the ticket thing is really what drives revenue in baseball.
1: And, and that's just something that you know I, I'm not always privy to uh, when it when it comes to all, all the uh, business side of things. And I appreciate that. Well, it's, that a, it's
2: a huge it's a huge difference between football and baseball because in football, the revenues are driven uh, almost entirely by the TV contracts. Right. Exactly. But not in and, baseball. And yeah, and and. Um, I mean, you know, baseball uh, is still significant, but they're but they're much less significant than the home attendance figure.
1: Well, you know, it, just having one game certainly attributes to that and makes it more of a and and as I think what has led to it being more of a national sport than uh, than baseball currently is, even though uh, I think that comparing World Series numbers in eras if, if somebody's bringing up 1973 World Series getting 35 million as opposed to now uh where they're hoping for 17 million uh, in terms of a certain night. I don't, I, it's just, it. it's it, as, as they say, apples and oranges. Uh, you, you well, know, it, it is can't. because
2: I mean, back in the old days, baseball didn't have really much competition uh, from other professional sports. And you look now, I saw that the opening day of the basketball uh, season was last night out here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and you've got football, of course, has been in operation since, uh, what, the uh, first week in September. Uh, so the baseball season is really, uh, runs into competition from these other sports. I mean, hockey goes on, and we're playing hockey games in, I think, May, and and basketball tournament at the end of the year, pro tournament, is, you know, late spring. So... Uh, baseball has a lot more competition today than it used to have,
1: and competition from uh, outside entertainment, uh, other than sports, in terms of just um, thousands of television channels to watch. YouTube, exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, the internet didn't exist back then, and you just have you have an entirely new generation with different priorities in terms of what they're going to do in the prime time hour.
2: That's exactly right, and but that of course is the challenge for the marketing departments of right. of any professional baseball team.
1: Exactly, and it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how everything uh, plays out over the next decade. Uh, you know, I, uh, obviously baseball is technically at its its uh, highest uh, popularity than it's ever been, um, and so I think there's a little too much being made about uh, it being a problem, quote unquote. But you know, I I,
2: they- gr- I agree with you, Sam. I mean, I I I, th- I don't think there's any question but that football has surpassed baseball as the <clears throat> number one spectator sport. In in the country and college football too is just extremely popular, but right. baseball is still very popular, and a lot of people watch it. A lot of people um, watch it on TV, and it's a good game on TV, but it's a great game when you can go to the ballpark itself. And, and that's uh, football, I think you probably see it better. You see football much better in your own living room than yeah. sitting on the fifty-yard line. But
3: right. baseball, baseball you,
2: baseball, you don't. The way
1: it's sprawled out in front of you, and that's certainly something I want to do with this—not just uh, um, you know, obviously telling the story of Brooklyn and America through Brooklyn, uh, but it's also my love of the of, of baseball and and uh, keeping its popularity going. And, and going all the way back to uh, 1954 for your first game at Ebbets. Uh, seeing your Giants face the Dodgers, uh, if you can talk a little bit about that and some, some uh, you know, what you remember about going out to Ebbets Field.
2: Well, I, I remember going there. Uh, the only times I would go there would be if the Dodgers were playing the Giants. Um, and they were always uh, uh, big crowds for those games at Ebbets Field. Evans field was also a wonderful old-fashioned ballpark with a lot of character in it, right field wall, being probably the most characteristic part of it, um, but it looked like a small little ballpark with uh, two decks in the left field and center field. And compared to the Polo Grounds, center field looked a lot, a lot closer. Um, but the Dodgers were such a great team to uh, root for or root against. Uh, uh, you know, you think about those Dodger teams from '47 to '55; they hardly ever changed. Campanella, uh, Frillo, Robinson, uh, Reese, Cox, Snyder, Frillo. I think I mentioned Frillo. I got somebody wrong. Hodges, I guess I left out at first base. And the pitchers, you know, Carl Erskine and Don Newcomb and Preacher Rowe. Uh, you know, these names, uh, you, you remember them because it was the same lineup for right. so many years. And they had so much success. They In the World Series, 47, 49. 52, 53, 55, lost on the last day of the season in 50, lost on the last day of the season in 51. So if you beat the Dodgers, you know, you had something really to be proud about because they were such a great team, great team to root against, or I guess if you were a Dodger fan, a great team to root for.
1: Right. And all of those series uh, that they faced the Yankees, the majority of them went six or seven games. I mean, these were hard-fought
2: series. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. There were some great, great series between the Dodgers and the Yankees, and and what a what a joy to grow up in New York City. You know, and you think about all yeah. that success I just mentioned in the Dodgers, and the Giants uh, were in the World Series in '51. They won the World Series in '54, and then you had the Yankees: '47, '49, '50, '51, '52, '53, '55. You know. <laughs> So if you, really if you were a kid, if you were a kid, you know, collecting baseball cards or whatever else you were doing, and you had the newspapers to read, and they covered these three great baseball teams. Yeah. To me, it was the it was it was the high point of baseball's history. Uh, would have been not the Ruth years in the in the twenties or uh, or even the early thirties, uh, and not the great base uh, era of the sixties when you had. Uh, a lot of African American and Latin players coming into the game. Great, great stars like Clemente and uh, Aaron and all, all these other people. But to me, the the best of baseball was probably the fifties. Uh, and it, it must have really hurt some of
1: those some of those old timers uh, to see Casey Stengel at the Yankee helm, because he was he was uh, not only did he manage the Dodgers in uh, I believe thirty five and thirty six, but he was also uh, uh, a big up-and-coming outfielder and big star for uh, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers
2: um, when they they won a pennant in 1916 facing uh, the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. So that must I have, wish that I. Must have I history. wish I'd had a chance to to know Casey because he he, <laughs> he sure seems to have been a colorful fellow.
1: That's that's for certain. And uh, you know, going back to my Mets fandom, he he's uh, implemental in in uh, the 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 uh, just being a character while everybody else is bumbling around him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we we have a caller on the line. It looks like a Long Island number. Uh, give me one second. Get that microphone on. Hello, you're here with the Vet for Himself Podcast. Sam? Yes.
3: Gary Mintz, how are you? Hey,
2: Gary. How you doing?
3: Good. How are you, Mr.
2: McGowan? Hi, Gary. It's Peter. How are you?
3: I'm all right. I just wanted to... Uh... Officially, and again, thank you so much for uh, all you do for uh, the, uh, the keeping the New York Giant memory alive. And uh, Sam, as you know, Mr. McGowan was gracious enough to uh, attend our meeting in September. Mm-hmm. He did a fabulous job. Everybody, you know, worshipped that he was there, and he was so great with all of our uh, members in our group. And last year we went out to San Francisco, and he, he you know, he uh, talked so... Uh, nicely about our organization, and I just wanted everybody who is listening to know he is really instrumental in keeping the tradition of the New York Giants alive more than anybody and
2: more than any organization. So uh, I just well, wanted Gary, to give my hat nice to you. Well, to Gary, you to it's very nice of you to say those things. You've got quite a, a group uh, there in in New York, and it's building from what I can tell. Uh, and I know they're very knowledgeable because I tried to stump them a few times when uh I met with them, and uh every tricky question I asked they seemed to have the answer for
3: they are so, you know we, we 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 you know with all this technology going you know we you know we were the historical society and uh everything was going well, but with moving into you know the twenty first century with all this technology, we could reach out to so many more people and we're trying our our darnedest to uh, keep this thing going, and we're going to succeed. And w- with people like you being so nice to us, you know, again, and I, gotta I can't thank, thank I you gotta
1: enough. Thank both of you, I got to thank both of you for you know just helping with this research process because it's uh, you know number one, who knows if this is ever going to be a TV show, and number two, it's uh, if it, and I hope to you know, that's that's going to be my life's passion is making this TV show, uh, but it, it's instrumental. And gathering all this research and it's going to take a very long time and I, it, it's a very meticulous process and i appreciate both of you for helping with that
3: uh, my pleasure and you know you know we will well, do thanks, whatever thanks. we can here to keep everything for you going and for us going as well Absolutely. Mr. McGowan, you thank, take, thank you for joining Dave. no problem mr mcgowan thank you so much again and i i want to tell you one last thing your uh, administrative assistant miss casbah is a delight whenever i have to speak to her and if you could pass that along well, to her, I know I do it yeah, by email. I, I but will. She's a
2: delight. I will. You have a wonderful Thank day. Thank you, Gary. Thank Bye you. Gary. Uh,
1: so uh, I want to segue over to your time at uh, owning the team and speak some stor- Talk about some stories uh, regarding that. Uh, but but uh, before we do that, and this certainly uh, helps connect it, talk about 1957. Talk about what it was like when finding out that the that uh, your baseball team was going to be no more in New York.
2: Well, I was, of course, devastated. But on the other hand, I was a very lucky individual because my family moved to San Francisco, of all places, uh, in 1956. So the year before the – we still kept our home in New York, but the year before um, the Giants moved, my, my family moved to San Francisco, of all towns in the world that they could have moved to they moved to where the giants were going to end up so um while i was you know very devastated uh, to see them leave new york and while i still consider myself a new yorker i'd never been in san francisco before um uh i feel very fortunate that they moved to the town that became my home
1: right exactly and, and uh they were in jeopardy of being sold to a, some Tampa Bay people uh, who were going to move the team to Tampa Bay in the early 90s. And uh, you guys swooped in at the last
2: second. We did, and and I don't think any of this would have ever happened if, uh, if I had not grown up in New York and seen what happened when the Giants and Dodgers left and seen how much unhappiness and sadness that caused. I was on the board of the Giants in 1992 when the owner... Called me up to tell me that he was selling the team, and I told him I, I said you are going to be the most unpopular man in San Francisco for the rest of your life. You can't do this. You must reverse your decision. And he said, "You know, Peter, I can't make any money here. I can't get a new ballpark. Without a new ballpark, the Giants can't be successful. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I've got to move for my own financial well-being." And I said, well, I appreciated that, but I was going to do everything I could to try to put together a group to keep the Giants where they had been since 1957. And the reason why I felt so passionately about that is my memories of what happened in 1957. Right, exactly. So those memories in 1992 were still very much with me. And then right after that, you were able to sign
1: Barry Bonds. and know you have a great story regarding that.
2: Yeah, well, we, we, we had bought the team. I mean, we'd agreed with Mr. Lurie on the sale of the team, on, on what the price was. Eventually, he came around and said, okay, 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 I'll sell the team to you guys in San Francisco. And so then uh, we looked over our roster, and the team was not very good. It had won only 72 games the previous year, lost 90 games. And so we said, what we really need is a power-hitting outfielder. And Barry Bonds was available, and so why not take a crack at him? And so we called up his agent, and, the agent uh, and we told the agent, you know, his godfather was Willie Mays, his father was Bobby Bonds, a great giant, and we wanted him to be a giant. And he said, well, he'd love to be a giant if you guys can compete uh, financially. And we said we thought we could. Now, what we didn't understand as well as we maybe should have was that we did not own the team yet. We had permission to buy it, but, but the money had not changed hands. And since we were not legally in true ownership position, we didn't really have the right to make the offer that we did make and which was accepted. So we made our offer, $43 million to bonds. He accepted it. The commissioner overturned it and said, uh, you can't do what you've just done, and we must make Bonds a free agent again. And so we had to figure out how Barry Bonds would end up with his $43 million that we had promised him, and Bob Lurie would under no circumstances uh, inherit that contract should he still be the owner of the Giants, because our deal fell through. And so we eventually worked it all out that if our Ownership group was not going to buy the team, bonds would become a free agent, and any monies less than the $43 million that we had promised him that he earned over the next six years, we, the ex-ownership group, would make up that difference. And people said, you're never going to be able to persuade your fellow owners to do that, but we managed to do it. And, and, and that first year, history. that first year, Barry was once again the MVP. He he'd been the MVP in 1990 and 1992 with the Pirates, and mm-hmm. first year with us, he was MVP again.
1: And uh, if, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, did you guys win 100 games? Or was it a, a, a we won 103
2: turnaround? games. Right. The, the the first year we went from 72 wins and 90 losses to 103 wins and 50 nine losses, and we lost on the last day of the season to the Atlanta Braves. It was one of the great pennant races of all time, probably ranks right up there with the 51 Dodger-Giant race, was the mm-hmm. Braves-Giants race in 93, which the Braves managed to win on the last day of the season.
1: And it's so just remarkable that they were even in the West. Uh, I, just, I just don't get the way they realigned everything, and, and uh, I guess that was 1969 was when they became a Western team.
2: Uh, what do you mean? The uh, with the, uh, the Atlanta
1: Braves, Oh, the Atlanta Braves. Because uh, they, right. they they were finally oh, yeah, to moved to to the Eastern yeah. team when the wild card came. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. It's just it is weird. There were too yeah, many but, teams in the east, so they had to right. pick somebody in the West and Atlanta hadn't been around as long as some of these other teams who would refuse to be and properly so put into the West. Right. So they stuck Atlanta in our division. I wish they hadn't because, you know, my first 11 years in, in baseball, the Giants had the third best record in baseball from 93 through 04. There were only two teams better, and the Yankees were one, and the other was the Atlanta Braves. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. And uh, in terms of Barry Bonds, uh, I think it's clear in general consensus that he, uh, w- you know, was and, in- and uh, some people might still say is a hall of famer. I mean, that's that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day in terms of that stuff. Uh, but specifically, uh, you know, we generally have an idea of when he uh, allegedly started doing steroids. And um, you know, I, talking about Barry Bonds and talking about Barry Bonds with you, I, I have to ask about the, the steroids. Sure. Uh, so, so what is, what is your knowledge regarding it and? Um, uh, what, what is your opinion about the whole thing?
2: Well, I, I think that there's no uh, question that Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame player. Uh, and had he retired uh, before the 2000 season, um, uh, and there were no steroid allegations before t- uh, the 2000 season, had he retired before that, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. Um, he ended up winning seven MVPs. No one in baseball has ever won more than three. He won seven, and he was runner-up twice. Um, so I think he, he would have been a sure uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, then also, when, when the steroid allegations first started, uh, there were no laws in baseball against the use of steroids. You you could use them. You had to get them from a doctor, but you you could get them from a, a doctor. Uh, you weren't breaking any baseball laws by using them. Um, and and also there there were other uh, uh, things that had been used in the past by players. I mean, even in Willie Mays's era, greenies and things were 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 used. So. Uh, uh, that is the background for what became then the steroid era. And during the steroid era, uh, who knows how many players took steroids, but Mm -hmm. a lot of them did. And it was the wrong thing to do. I don't think there's any question about that because, number one, it's not fair for some players to be taking them and other players not to be taking them. Um, It it just isn't a fair way to play a, a competitive game it sets a very bad example for kids where right. um, they are dangerous to your health uh, can cause all kinds of very serious health problems and it's therefore right to do everything that we can do as an industry to ban them, both for fairness and and to and to keep the health of the players and to set the right example for for kids.
1: Exactly, and I think that you hit the nail uh, on the head in terms of the kids, and, and I think that's the biggest reason, we, you know, when people say, why is Congress bothering with it? Uh, sports means a lot in our country, and sports means a lot to, to families, and, and uh, not just in terms of entertainment, but in terms of their children. and, and right. You want to set the right example, uh, and, and Congress, I believe, was right to, to uh, you know, get on baseball about it. Uh, right. And and but you also hit the nail on the head regarding uh, that it's not black and white when it comes to all these different types of era, eras. Uh, I think the health concerns are certainly bring it to a whole nother level, and, and and the the way the numbers exploded certainly brings it to a whole nother level. But that doesn't uh, erase the fact that every generation, every era of baseball has had its its black mark on it in ter- in terms of cheating or or some sort of uh, sure. I mean, we
2: have we have spitballers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so right, the, right. the Hall of Fame was never uh, supposed to be for the the morally pure. Um, it was supposed to be for the best players that ever played, and uh, you could point to all kinds of examples over many, many, many years of people who had um, cheated, who uh, gone against the rules at the time. Um, but are in the Hall of Fame. I'm not using any of that as justification for, right. for Barry. I don't know how the writers are going to deal with him over time. Um, my own view is, is that the current Writers Association is, uh, uh, is mostly senior people that have been in the game a long time, and they're going to be, I think, more uh, moralistic ...than some of the younger writers that are going to be coming along. So I think as the years go by, um, Barry, Bonds, and people like him will be treated more favorably, Uh, but probably not for a while.
1: It's going to be interesting to see, especially this year. And uh, I have a stake in terms of Mike Piazza getting into the Hall of Fame. I don't think he's going to this year, but but we'll see how that plays out. And we only have a couple minutes left. But uh,
2: I would think Mike Piazza ought to be in the Hall of Fame.
1: I agree. You know? I mean, there's no out. There, there, it's all speculation regarding steroids, and, and he's the greatest hitting catcher of all time. So. Yeah, game, and he made it,
2: he he said some things that annoyed some people, but I don't see that that's any reason to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. I mean, exactly, he was a great, great, great player.
1: Well, we only have a couple minutes left, and, and I sure. certainly love to have you on again at some point. But uh, I, I have to ask about the uh, the World Series uh, in 2010 and the feeling uh, that that <coughs> must have gone over you for you know having uh, the first World Series in San Francisco for the New York for the baseball Giants franchise.
2: Well, the, the last time we had uh, won a World Series was 1954, and the Giants had been in several World Series since '54. We lost to the Yankees in 1962 when William McCovey's line drive ended up in Bobby Richardson's glove, so we lost a one nothing game, the seventh game of that 62 World Series. And then we were in the World Series in 89, the so-called Earthquake World Series, and lost to the A's. And then in 2002, which was my ninth year with the Giants, we got into the World Series against the uh, uh, Anaheim Angels, and uh, we were ahead 5 to nothing in the seventh inning of the sixth game. And if we'd won that game, we would have won the World Series, and we lost that game and then lost the next day. So we lost another seven-game World Series. So... <clears throat> A lot of Giants fans were saying, are we ever going to win a World Series in San Francisco, or are we cursed like it seemed the Red Sox were for so many years? And then along came the 2010 season, and we won the World Series and won it pretty decisively in five games against a good Texas team, and then uh, won it again two years later, sweeping the Tigers, So our two World Series victories in 2010-2012, the combined record was eight wins and one loss. And after each of those World Series uh, victories, we finally had the parade that everybody had been waiting for. And over a million people came to those two different parades. And it was something that anybody who experienced being in that parade will never forget.
1: Well, Peter, thank you so much, and we're going to pick up uh, from we're going to pick up there the next time we have you on, and certainly go back to some more uh, talk about the, the uh, great golden age of baseball, as they call it. Peter, thank you
2: so much for being on. Thank, thank you very much, Sam. I enjoyed it.
1: That's our show. Everybody, have a good one. Take care.